Chapter 17, Part 1 of The Colored Cadet at West Point, Autobiography of Lieutenant Henry Oshin Flipper, USA, First Graduate of Color from the U.S. Military Academy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Colored Cadet at West Point, Autobiography of Lieutenant Henry Oshin Flipper, USA, First Graduate of Color, from the U.S. Military Academy. Chapter 17, Part 1. James Webster Smith, a native of South Carolina, was appointed to a cadetship at the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York, in 1870, by the Honorable S. L. Hodge. He reported as instructed at the Military Academy in the early summer of 1870, and succeeded in passing the physical and intellectual examination prescribed and was received as a conditional cadet. At the same time, one Howard reported, but unfortunately did not succeed in getting in. In complexion, Smith was rather light, possibly an octoroon. Howard, on the contrary, was black. Howard had been a student at Howard University, as also had been Smith. Smith, before entering the academy, had graduated at the Hartford High School, and was well prepared to enter upon the new course of studies at West Point. In studies, he went through the first year's course without any difficulty, but unfortunately an affair d'unier, a dipper fight, caused him to be put back one year in his studies. In going over this course again, he stood very high in his class, but when it was finished he began going down gradually until he became a member of the last section of his class, an immortal, as we say, and in constant danger of being found. He continued his course in this part of his class till the end of his second-class year, when he was declared deficient in natural and experimental philosophy and dismissed. At this time he had been in the academy four years, but had been over only a three-years course, and would not have graduated until the end of the next year, June 1875. As to his trials and experiences while a cadet, I shall permit him to speak. The following articles embrace a series of letters written by him, after his dismissal, to the New National Era and Citizen, the political organ of the colored people, published at Washington, D.C. The Colored Cadet Again Pertinent or Impertinent Card from Cadet Smith Columbia, South Carolina, July 27, 1874 to the editor of the National Republican. Sir, I saw an article yesterday in one of our local papers, copied from the Brooklyn Argus, concerning my dismissal from the Military Academy. The article referred to closes as follows. Though he has written letters to his friends, and is quite sanguine about returning and finally graduating, the professors and cadets say there is not the slightest chance. Said a professor to a friend the other day, it will be a long time before anyone belonging to the colored race can graduate at West Point. Now, sir, I would like to ask a few questions through the columns of your paper concerning these statements, and would be glad to have them answered by some of the knowing ones. In the first place, what do the professors and cadets know of my chances for getting back? And if they know anything, how do they find it out? At an interview which I had with the Secretary of War on the 17th instant, he stated that he went to West Point this year for a purpose, 
and that he was there both before and after my examination, and conversed with some of the professors concerning me. Now, did that visit and those conversations have anything to do with the finding of the academic board? Did they have anything to do with that wonderful wisdom and foresight displayed by the professors and cadets in commenting upon my chances for getting back? Why should the Secretary of War go to West Point this year for a purpose and converse with the professors about me both before and after the examination? Besides, he spoke of an interview he had had with Colonel Ruger, superintendent of the academy in New York, on Sunday, the 12th instant, in reference to me during which Colonel Ruger had said that the academic board would not recommend me to return. Is it very wonderful that the academic board should refuse such recommendation after those very interesting conversations which were held both before and after the recommendation? Why was the secretary away from West Point at the time of the examination? In the next place, by what divine power does that learned oracle, a professor, prophecy that it will be a long time before anyone belonging to the colored race can graduate at west point it seems that he must have a wonderful knowledge of the negro that he can tell the abilities of all the colored boys in america but it is possible that he is one of the younger professors perhaps the professor of philosophy and therefore expects to live and preside over that department for a long time though to the unsophisticated mind it looks very much as though he would examine a colored cadet on the color of his face. I think he could express himself better and come much nearer the truth by substituting shall for can in that sentence. Of course, while affairs remain at West Point as they have always been, and are now, no colored boy will graduate there. But there are some of us who are sanguine about seeing a change, even if we can't get back. J. W. Smith, Late Cadet, USMA the Dipper Difficulty, Columbia, South Carolina, July 30, 1874 To the Editor of the New National Era As I told you in my last communication, I shall now proceed to give you an account of my four years' stay at West Point. I reported there on the 31st of May, 1870, and had not been there an hour before I had been reminded by several thoughtful cadets that I was nothing but a blank nigger. Another colored boy, Howard, of Mississippi, reported on the same day, and we were put in the same room where we stayed until the preliminary examination was over, and Howard was sent away as he failed to pass. While we were there, we could not meet a cadet anywhere without having the most opprobrious epithets applied to us, but after complaining two or three times, we concluded to pay no attention to such things, for, as we did not know these cadets, we could get no satisfaction. One night, about twelve o'clock, someone came into our room and threw the contents of his slop-pail over us while we were asleep. We got to our door just in time to hear the gentleman go into his room on the floor above us. This affair reported itself the next morning at police inspection, and the inspector ordered us to search among the tobacco quids and other rubbish on the floor for something by which we might identify the perpetrator of the affair. The search resulted in the finding of an old envelope addressed to one McCord of Kentucky. That young gentleman was questioned in reference, but succeeded in convincing the authorities that he had nothing to do with the affair and knew nothing of it. A few days after that, Howard was struck in the face by that young gentleman because, as he says, the blank nigger 
didn't get out of the way when I was going into the bootblack's shop. For that offense, Mr. McCord was confined to his room, but was never punished, as in a few days thereafter he failed at the preliminary examination, and was sent away with all the other unfortunates, including Howard. On the 28th of June, 1870, those of us who had succeeded in passing the preliminary examination were taken in plebe camp, and there I got my taste of military discipline, as the petty persecutions of about two hundred cadets were called. Left alone as I was by Howard's failure, I had to take every insult that was offered, without saying anything, for I had complained several times to the commandant of cadets, and, after investigating the matter, he invariably came to the conclusion, from the evidence deduced, that I was in the wrong, and I was cautioned that I had better be very particular about any statements that I might make, as the regulations were very strict on the subject of veracity. Whenever the plebes, new cadets, were turned out to police camp, as they were each day at 5 a.m. and 4 p.m., certain cadets would come into the company street and spit out quids of tobacco, which they would call for me to pick up. I would get a broom and shovel for the purpose, but they would immediately begin swearing at and abusing me for not using my fingers. And then the corporal of police would order me to put down that broom and shovel and not try to play the gentleman here, for my fingers were made for that purpose. Finding there was no redress to be had there, I wrote my friend Mr. David Clark of Hartford, Connecticut, to do something for me. He had my letter published, and that drew the attention of Congress to the matter, and a board was sent to West Point to inquire into the matter and report thereon. That board found out that several cadets were guilty of conduct unbecoming a cadet and a gentleman, and recommended that they be court-martialed, but the Secretary of War thought a reprimand would be sufficient. Among those reprimanded were Q. O. M. Gilmore, son of General Gilmore, Alex B. Dyer, son of General Dyer, and James H. Reed, nephew of the Secretary of War, it is said. I was also reprimanded for writing letters for publication. Instead of doing good, these reprimands seemed only to increase the enmity of the cadets, and they redoubled their energies to get me into difficulty, and they went on from bad to worse until from words they came to blows, and then occurred that little unpleasantness known as the dipper fight. On the 13th of August, 1870, I, being on guard, was sent to the tank for a pail of water. I had to go a distance of about 150 yards, fill the pail by drawing water from the faucet in a dipper, the faucet was too low to permit the pail to stand under it, and return to the guard tent in ten minutes. When I reached the tank, one of my classmates, J. W. Wilson, was standing in front of the faucet drinking water from a dipper. He didn't seem inclined to move, so I asked him to stand aside as I wanted to get water for the guard. He said, I'd like to see any blank nigger get water before I get through. I said, I'm on duty, and I've got no time to fool with you, and I pushed the pail toward the faucet. He kicked the pail over, and I set it up and stood down to draw the water and then he struck at me with his dipper, but hit the brass plate on the front of my hat and broke his dipper. I was stooping down at the time, but I stood up and struck him in the face with my left fist. But in getting up I did not think of a tent fly that was spread over the tank, and that pulled my hat down over my eyes. He then struck me in the face with the handle of his dipper. He broke his dipper at the first blow, and then I struck him two or three times with my dipper, battering it and cutting him very severely on the left side of his head near the temple. 
he bled very profusely and fell on the ground near the tank the alarm soon spread through the camp and all the cadets came running to the tank and swearing vengeance on the blank nigger an officer who was in his tent nearby came out and ordered me to be put under guard in one of the guard tents where i was kept until next morning when i was put in arrest wilson was taken to the hospital where he stayed two or three weeks and as soon as he returned to duty he was also placed in arrest this was made the subject for a court-martial and that court-martial will form the subject of my next communication yours respectfully j w smith late cadet u s m a the injustice at west point columbia south carolina august seventh eighteen seventy four to the editor of the new national era sir in my last communication i related the circumstances of the dipper fight and now we come to the court-martial which resulted therefrom but there was another charge upon which i was tried at the same time the circumstances of which i will detail on the fifteenth of august eighteen seventy just two days after the dipper fight cadet corporal beacom made a report against me for replying in a disrespectful manner to a file closer when spoken to at drill p m for this alleged offence i wrote an explanation denying the charge but cadet beacom found three cadets who swore that they heard me make a disrespectful reply in ranks when cadet beacom as a file closer on duty spoke to me and the commandant of cadets lieutenant colonel upton preferred charges against me for making false statements the court to try me sat in september with general o o howard as president i pled not guilty to the charge of assault on cadet wilson and also to the charge of making false statements the court found both cadet wilson and myself guilty of assault and sentenced us to be confined for two or three weeks with some other light punishment in the form of extra duty the finding of the court was approved by president grant in the case of cadet wilson but disapproved in my case on the ground that the punishment was not severe enough therefore cadet w served his punishment and i did not serve mine as there was no authority vested in the president to increase it on the second charge i was acquitted for i proved by means of the order book of the academy that there was no company drill on that day the fifteenth of august that there was skirmish drill and by the guard reports of the same date that cadet beacom and two of his three witnesses were on guard that day and could not have been at drill even if there had been one to some it might appear that the slight inconsistencies existing between the sworn testimony of those cadets and the official record of the academy savored somewhat of perjury but they succeeded in explaining the matter by saying that cadet beacom only made a mistake in date of course he did how could it be otherwise it was necessary to explain it in some way so that i might be proved a liar to the corps of cadets even if they failed to accomplish that object to the satisfaction of the court i was released in november after the proceedings and findings of the court had been returned from washington where they had been sent for the approval of the president having been in arrest for three months but i was not destined to enjoy my liberty for any length of time for on the thirteenth of december same year i was in the ranks of the guard and was stepped on two or three times by cadet anderson one of my classmates who was marching beside me as i had had some trouble with the same cadet some time before on account of the same thing i believed that he was doing it intentionally and as it was very annoying i spoke to him about it saying i wish you would not tread on my toes 
he answered, Keep your blank toes out of the way. Cadet Burney, who was standing nearby, then made some invidious remarks about me, to which I did not condescend to reply. One of the cadet corporals, Bailey, reported me for inattention in ranks, and in my written explanation of the offense, I detailed the circumstances, but both Burney and Anderson denied them, and the commandant of cadets took their statement in preference to mine, and preferred charges against me for falsehood. I was court-martialed in January 1871, Captain Piper, 3rd Artillery, being president of the court. By this court I was found guilty, as I had no witnesses and had nothing to expect from the testimony of the witnesses for the prosecution. Cadet Corporal Bailey, who made the report, Cadets Burney and Anderson, were the witnesses who convicted me. In fact, they were the only witnesses summoned to testify in the case. The sentence of the court was that I should be dismissed, but it was changed to one year suspension, or, since the year was almost gone before the finding of the court was returned from Washington, where it was sent for the approval of President Grant, I was put back one year. I had no counsel at this trial, as I knew it would be useless, considering the one-sided condition of affairs. I was allowed to make the following written statement of the affair to be placed among the records of the proceedings of the court. May it please the court, I stand here today charged with a most disgraceful act, one which not only affects my character, but will, if I am found guilty, affect it during my whole life, and I shall attempt, in as few words as possible, to show that I am as innocent as any person in this room. I was reported on the 18th of December, 1870, for a very trivial offense. For this offense I submitted an explanation to the Commandant of Cadets. In explanation, I stated the real cause of committing the offense for which I was reported. But this cause, as stated, involved another cadet, who, finding himself charged with an act for which he was liable to punishment, denies all knowledge of it. He tries to establish his denial by giving evidence which I shall attempt to prove absurd. On the morning of the 13th of December, 1870, at guard mounting, after the new guard had marched past the old guard, and the command of two's left halt had been given, the new guard was about two or three yards to the front and right of the old guard. Then the command of left backward dress was given to the new guard, order arms, in place rest. I then turned around to Cadet Anderson and said to him, I wish you would not tread on my toes. This was said in a moderate tone, quite loud enough for him to hear. He replied, as I understood, keep your blank toes out of the way. I said nothing more, and he said nothing more. I then heard Cadet Burney say to another cadet, I don't know who it was, standing by his side, It, or the thing, is speaking to Mr. Anderson. If he were to speak to me, I would knock him down. I heard him distinctly, but as I knew that he was interfering in an affair that did not concern him, I took no further notice of him, but turned around to my original position in the ranks. What was said subsequently I do not know, for I paid no further attention to either party. I heard nothing said at any time about taking my eyes away, or of Cadet Anderson compromising his dignity. Having thus reviewed the circumstances which gave rise to the charge, may it please the court, I wish to say a word as to the witnesses. Each of these cadets testifies to the fact that they have discussed the case in every particular, both with each other and with other cadets. That is, they have found out each other's views and feelings in respect to it, compared the evidence which each should give, 
the probable result of the trial, and one has even testified that he has expressed a desire as to the result. Think you that Cadet Burney, with such a desire in his breast, influencing his every thought and word with such an end in view, could give evidence unbiased, unprejudiced, and free from that desire that Cadet Smith might be sent away and proved a liar? Think you that he could give evidence which should be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God? It seems impossible for me to have justice done me by the evidence of such witnesses, but I will leave that for the court to decide. There is another question here which must be answered by the finding of the court. It is this. Shall Cadet Smith be allowed to complain to the Commandant of Cadets when he considers himself unjustly dealt with? When the court takes notice of the fact that this charge and these specifications are the result of a complaint made by me, it will agree with me as to the importance its findings will have in answering that question. As to what the finding will be, I can say nothing. But if the court is convinced that I have lied, then I shall expect a finding and sentence in accordance with such conviction. A lie is as disgraceful to one man as another, be he white or black. And I say here, as I said to the Commandant of Cadets, if I were guilty of falsehood, I should merit and expect the same punishment as any other cadet. But, as I said before, I am as innocent of this charge as any person in this room. The verdict of an infallible judge, conscience, is not guilty, and that is the finding I ask of this court. Respectfully submitted, signed, J. W. Smith, Cadet, U.S.M.A. Thus ended my second and last court-martial. Yours respectfully, J. W. Smith, late cadet, U.S.M.A. The Honor of a Cadet and Gentleman To the Editor of the New National Era, Sir, in relating the events of my first year at West Point, I omitted one little affair which took place, and I will now relate the circumstances. One Sunday at dinner, I helped myself to some soup, and one cadet, Clark of Kentucky, who sat opposite me at table, asked me what I meant by taking soup before he had done so. I told him that I took it because I wished it, and that there was a plenty left. He seemed to be insulted at that, and asked, Do you think I would eat after a blank nigger? I replied, I have not thought at all on the subject, and moreover, I don't quite understand you, as I can't find that last word in the dictionary. He then took up a glass, and said he would knock my head off. I told him to throw as soon as he pleased, and as soon as he got through, I would throw mine. The commandant of the table here interfered and ordered us to stop creating a disturbance at the table, and gave me to understand that thereafter I should not touch anything on that table until the white cadets were served. When we came back from dinner, as I was going into my room, Cadet Clark struck at me from behind. He hit me on the back of my neck, causing me to get into my room with a little more haste than I anticipated, but he did not knock me down. He came into my room, following up his advantage and attempted to take me by the throat, but he only succeeded in scratching me a little with his nails as I defended myself as well as possible until I succeeded in getting near my bayonet, which I snatched from the scabbard and then tried to put it through him. But being much larger and stronger than I, he kept me off until he got to the door. But then he couldn't get out, or someone was holding the door on the outside for the purpose, I suppose, of preventing my escape, as no doubt they thought I would try to get out. There were a great many cadets outside on the stoop, 
looking through the window and cheering their champion with cries of that's right clark kill the blank nigger choke him put a head on him etc but when they saw him giving way before the bayonet they cried open the door boys and the door was opened and mr clark went forth to rejoice in the bosom of his friends as the hero of the day the cadet officer of the day happened around just after clark had left and wanted to know what did i mean by making all that noise in and around my quarters i told him what the trouble was about and soon after i was sent for by the officer in charge and questioned in reference to the affair charges were preferred against clark for entering my room and assaulting me but before they were brought to trial he sent two of his friends to me asking if i would withdraw the charges providing he made a written apology i told these cadets that i would think of the matter and give them a definite answer the next evening i was perfectly well satisfied that he would be convicted by any court that tried him but the cadets could easily prove according to their way of giving evidence that i provoked the assault and i besides was utterly disgusted with so much wrangling so when the cadets called that evening i told him that if his written apology was satisfactory i would sign it submit it to the approval of the commandant of cadets and have the charges withdrawn they then showed me the written apology offered by clark in which he stated that his offence was caused by passion because he thought that when i passed him on the steps in going to my room i tried to brush against him he also expressed his regret for what he had done and asked forgiveness i was satisfied with his apology and signed it asking that the charges be withdrawn which was done of course and clark was released from arrest i will in justice to cadet clark state that i never had any further trouble with him for while he kept aloof from me as the other cadets did he always thereafter acted perfectly fair by me whenever i had any official relations with him a few days after the settlement of our dispute i found on my return from fencing one day that someone had entered my room and had thrown all my clothes and other property around the floor and had thrown the water out of my water pail upon my bed i immediately went to the guardhouse and reported the affair to the officer of the day who with the officer in charge came to my room to see what had been done the officer of the day said that he had inspected my quarters soon after i went to the fencing academy and found everything in order and that it must have been done within a half hour the commandant of the cadets made an investigation of the matter but could not find out what young gentleman did it for every cadet stated that he knew nothing of it although the corps of cadets has the reputation of being a truthful set of young men upon my honor as a cadet and a gentleman is a favorite expression with the west point cadet but what kind of honor is that by which a young man can quiet his conscience while telling a base falsehood for the purpose of shielding a fellow student from punishment for a disgraceful act they boast of the esprit de corps existing among the cadets but it is merely a cloak for the purpose of covering up their iniquities and silencing those for there are some who would if allowed to act according to the dictates of their own consciences be above such disgraceful acts some persons might attribute to me the same motives that actuated the fox in crying sour grapes and to such i will say that i never asked for social equality at west point i never visited the quarters of any professor official or cadet except on duty for i did not wish any one to think that i was in any way desirous of social recognition by those who felt themselves superior to me on account of color as i was never recognized as a cadet and a gentleman i could not enjoy that blessed privilege of swearing upon my honor boasting of my share in the esprit de corps nor of concealing my sins by taking advantage of them
Still, I hope that what I lost by being deprived of these little benefits will be compensated for the still small voice which tells me that I have done my best. Yours respectfully, J.W. Smith, Late Cadet, USMA. Columbia, South Carolina, August 19, 1874. To the editor of the New National Era. Sir, my communications thus far have brought me to the end of my first year at the Academy. And now we come to the events of the second. In June of 1871, the proverbial silver lining, which the darkest cloud is said to have, began to shine very faintly in the West Point firmament, and I thought that at last the darkness of my cadet life was to be dispelled by the appearance above the horizon of another colored cadet. And indeed, I was not disappointed, for one day I was greeted by the familiar face and voice of Mr. H. A. Napier, a former fellow student at Howard University. Soon after his arrival and admittance, the Corps of Cadets, accompanied by the plebes, took up quarters in camp. Plebe camp to the latter, and yearling camp to us who had entered the previous year. During the cadet encampment, there are certain dances given three times each week, known as cadet hops. These hops are attended by the members of the first and third classes and their lady friends, and no plebe ever has the assurance of dreaming of attending the hops until he shall have risen to the dignity of a yearling, third classman. So long as I was a plebe, no one anticipated any such dire calamity as that I would attend the hops, but as soon as I became a yearling and had a perfect right to go, if I wished, there was a great hue and cry raised that the sanctity of the hop room was to be violated by the colored cadet. Meetings were held by the different classes, and resolutions passed to the effect that as soon as the colored cadet entered the hop room, the hop managers were to declare the hop ended and dismiss the musicians. But the hops went on undisturbed by the presence of the colored cadet for two or three weeks, and all began to get quiet again when one day my brother and sister, with a couple of lady friends whom they had come to visit, came to camp to see me. This started afresh the old report about the hops, and everyone was on the qui vive to get a glimpse of nigger Jim and the nigger wenches who were going to the hops, as was remarked by a cadet who went up from the guard tent to spread the alarm through camp. In a few minutes thereafter, the gentlemen had all taken position at the end of the company street, and with their opera glasses were taking observations upon those who, as they thought, had come to desecrate the hop room. I was on guard that day, but not being on post at that time, I was sitting in rear of the guard tents with my friends, that place being provided with camp stools for the accommodation of visitors, when a cadet corporal, Tyler of Kentucky, came and ordered me to go and fasten down the corner of the first guard tent, which stood a few paces from where we were sitting. I went to do so when he came there also, and immediately began to rail at me for being so slow saying he wished me to know that when he ordered me to do anything, I must step out about it, and not try to shirk it. I said nothing, but fastened down the corner of the tent, and went back to where my friends were. In a few minutes afterwards, he came back, and wanted to know why I hadn't fastened down that tent wall. I told him that I had. He said it was not fastened then, and that he did not wish any prevarication on my part. I then told him that he had no authority to charge me with prevarication, and that if he believed that I had not fastened down the tent wall, the only thing he could do was to report me. 
I went back to the tent and found that either Cadet Tyler or some other cadet had unfastened the tent wall, so I fastened it down again. Nothing now was said to me by Cadet Tyler, and I went back to where my friends were, but we had been sitting there only about a half hour when a private soldier came to us and said, It is near time for parade, and you will have to go away from here. I never was more surprised in my life, and I asked the soldier what he meant, for I surely thought he was either drunk or crazy, but he said that the superintendent had given him orders to allow no colored persons near the visitors' seats during parade. I asked him if he recognized me as a cadet. He said he did. I then told him that those were my friends, that I had invited them there to see the parade, and that they were going to stay. He said he had nothing to do with me, of course, but that he had to obey the orders of the superintendent. I then went to the officer of the guard who was standing nearby and stated the circumstances to him, requesting him to protect us from such insults. He spoke to the soldier, saying that he had best not try to enforce that order, as the order was intended to apply to servants, and then the soldier went off and left us. Soon after that, the drum sounded for parade, and I was compelled to leave my friends for the purpose of falling in ranks, but promising to return as soon as the parade was over, little thinking that I should not be able to redeem that promise, but such was the case, as I shall now proceed to show. Just as the companies were marching off the parade ground, and before the guard was dismissed, the officer in charge, Lieutenant Charles King, 5th Cavalry, came to the guard tent and ordered me to step out of ranks three paces to the front, which I did. He then ordered me to take off my accoutrements and place them with my musket on the gun rack. That being done, he ordered me to take my place in the center of the guard as a prisoner, and there I stood until the ranks were broken when I was put in the guard tent. Of course, my friends felt very bad about it, as they thought that they were the cause of it, while I could not speak a word to them as they went away. And even if I could have spoken to them, I could not have explained the matter, for I did not know myself why I had been put there. At least I did not know what charge had been trumped up against me, though I knew well enough that I had been put there for the purpose of keeping me from the hop as they expected I would go. The next morning I was put in arrest for disobedience of orders in not fastening down tent wall when ordered, and replying in a disrespectful manner to a cadet corporal, etc., and thus the simplest thing was magnified into a very serious offense, for the purpose of satisfying the desires of a few narrow-minded cadets. That an officer of the United States Army would allow his prejudices to carry him so far as to act in that way to a subordinate, without giving him a chance to speak a word in his defense, nay, without allowing him to know what charge had been made against him, and that he should be upheld in such action by the powers that be, are sufficient proof to my mind of the feelings which the officers themselves maintained towards us. While I was in ranks, during parade, and my friends were quietly sitting down looking at the parade, another model officer and gentleman, Captain Alexander Piper, 3rd Artillery, he was president of my second court-martial, came up in company with a lady, and ordered my brother and sister to get up and let him have their camp-stools, and he actually took away the camp-stools and left them standing, while a different kind of a gentleman, an obscure citizen with no aristocratic West Point dignity to boast of, kindly tendered his camp-stool to my sister. I only wish I knew the name of that gentleman, but I could not see him then, or I should certainly have found it out, though in answer to my brother's question as to his name, he simply replied, I am an obscure citizen. 
what a commentary on our obscure citizens who know what it is to be gentlemen in something else besides the name gentlemen in practice not only in theory and who can say with burns that a man's a man for a that whether his face be as black as midnight or as white as the driven snow there is something in such a man which elevates him above many others who having nothing else to boast of can only say i am a white man and am therefore your superior or i am a west point graduate and therefore an officer and a gentleman after the unusual investigation by the commandant of cadets i was sentenced to be confined to the company street until the fifteenth of august about five weeks so that i could not get out to see my brother and sister after that except when i was at drill and then i could not speak to them i tried to get permission to see them in the visitors tent the day before they left the point on their return home but my permit was not granted and they left without having the privilege of saying good-bye i must say a word in reference to the commandant's method of making investigations after sending for cadet corporal tyler and other white cadets and hearing their side of the story in reference to the tent wall and the disrespectful reply he sent for me to hear what i had to say and after i had given my version of the affair he told me that i must surely be mistaken as my statement did not coincide with those of the other cadets who were unanimous in saying that i used not only disrespectful but also profane language while addressing the cadet corporal i told him that new cadet napier and my brother were both there and heard the conversation and they would substantiate my statement if allowed to testify he said he was convinced that i was in the wrong and he did not send for either of them what sort of justice is that which can be meted out to one without allowing him to defend himself and even denying him the privilege of calling his evidence what a model chief justice the commandant of cadets would make since he can decide upon the merits of the case as soon as he has heard one side surely he has missed his calling by entering the army or else the american people cannot appreciate true ability for that officer and gentleman ought now to be wearing the judicial robe so lately laid down by the lamented chase in reply to my complaint about the actions of the soldier in ordering my friends away from the visitors seats he said that the soldier had misunderstood his orders as the superintendent had told him to keep the colored servants at the point from coming in front of the battalion at parade and that it was not meant to apply to my friends who could come there whenever they wished it seems though very strange to me that the soldier could misunderstand his orders when he saw me sitting there in company with them for it is one of the regulations of the academy which forbids any cadet to associate with a servant and if i had been seen doing such a thing i would have been court-martialed for conduct unbecoming a cadet and a gentleman the cadets were of course very much rejoiced at my being in arrest and after my sentence had been published at parade they had quite a jubilee over it and boasted of the skill and tact which cadet tyler had shown in putting the nigger out of the temptation of taking those black wenches to the hops they thought no doubt that their getting me into trouble frightened me out of any thoughts i might have had of attending the hops but if i had any idea of going to the hops i should have been only more determined to go and should have done so as soon as my term of confinement was ended i have never thought of going to the hops for it would be very little pleasure to go by myself and i should most assuredly not have asked a lady to subject herself to the insults consequent upon going there besides as i said before i did not go to west point for the purpose of advocating social equality 
for there are many cadets in the corps with whom i think it no honor for any one to associate although they are among the high-toned aristocrats and will no doubt soon be numbered among the officers and gentlemen of the united states army yours respectfully j w smith late cadet u s m a reply to the washington chronicle columbia south carolina august twenty five eighteen seventy four to the editor of the new national era sir the following article appeared in the washington chronicle of the fourteenth instant and as i feel somewhat interested in the statements therein contained i desire to say a few words in reference to them the article referred to reads as follows the recent attack of the colored ex-cadet smith upon the board of visitors at west point has attracted the attention of the officers of the war department they say that the secretary of war was extremely liberal in his interpretation of the regulations on behalf of cadet smith and that he did for him what had never been done for a white boy in like circumstances the officers also say that smith was manifestly incompetent that he had a fair examination and that the congressional board of visitors unanimously testified to his incompetency now sir i am at a loss to know what are the recent attacks of the colored ex-cadet smith upon the board of visitors for i am not aware that i have said anything either directly or indirectly concerning the board of visitors my remarks thus far have been confined to the academic board and secretary of war as the members of the board of visitors were simply spectators and as they were not present when i was examined i had no reason to make any attack upon them and therefore as i said before confine my remarks or attacks if that word is more acceptable to the chronicle to those who acted so unjustly toward me as to the extreme liberality of the secretary of war in his interpretation of the regulations on behalf of cadet smith and that he did for him what he had never done for a white boy in like circumstances i hardly know what to say for such absurd cant seems intended to excite the laughter of all who know the circumstances of the case what devoted servants those officers of the war department must be that they can see in their chief so much liberality but in what respect was the secretary of war so liberal in his interpretation of the regulations was it in dismissing me and turning back to a lower class two white cadets who had been unable to complete successfully the first year of the course with everything in their favor while i had completed three years of the same course in spite of all the opposition which the whole corps of cadets backed by the powers that be could throw in my way or was it his decision that i can give mr smith a re-examination but i won't the chronicle is perfectly correct in saying that he did for him what had never been done for a white boy in like circumstances for in the first place i don't think there ever was a white boy in like circumstances certainly not while i was at the academy and if there ever were a white boy so placed we are pretty safe in concluding from the general treatment of white boys that the secretary was not so frank in his remarks nor so decided in his action i want another cadet to represent your district at west point and i have already sent to mr elliot to appoint one means something more than fair dealing or as the chronicle would imply partiality toward the colored cadet it means that the gentleman was pleasing himself in the choice of a cadet from the third congressional district of south carolina and that he did not recognize the rights of the people of that district to choose for themselves you are out of the service and will stay out 
for the academic board will not recommend you to come back under any circumstances, shows that it is the academic board that must choose our representative and not we ourselves, and that our wishes are only secondary in comparison with those of the service and the academic board. We are no longer free citizens of a sovereign state and of the United States with the right to choose for ourselves those who shall represent us. But we must be subordinate to the Secretary of War and the Academic Board, and must make our wishes subservient to those of the above-named powers, and unless we do that we are pronounced to be naturally bad, as remarked the adjutant of the Academy, Captain R. H. Hall, to a Sun reporter, and must have done for us what had never been done for a white boy in like circumstances. Now, sir, let us see what has been done for a white boy in like circumstances. In July 1870, the President was in Hartford, Connecticut, and in a conversation with my friend, the Honorable David Clark, in reference to my treatment at West Point, he said, Don't take him away now. The battle might just as well be fought now as at any other time, and gave him to understand that he would see me protected in my rights, while his son Fred, who was then a cadet, said to the same gentleman, and in the presence of his father, that the time had not come to send colored boys to West Point. Mr. Clark said if the time had come for them to be in the United States Senate, it had surely come for them to be at West Point, and that he would do all in his power to have me protected. Fred Grant then said, well, no blank nigger will ever graduate from West Point. This same young gentleman, with other members of his class, entered the rooms of three cadets, members of the fourth class, on the night of January 3, 1871, took those cadets out and drove them away from the point with nothing on but the light summer suits that they wore when they reported there the previous summer. Here was a most outrageous example of lynch law, disgraceful alike to the first class who were the executors of it, the corps of cadets who were the abettors of it, and the authorities of the academy who were afraid to punish the perpetrators because the president's son was implicated or at least one of the prime movers of the affair. Congress took the matter in hand and instructed the Secretary of War to dismiss all the members of the class who were implicated, but the latter gentleman was extremely liberal in his interpretation of the regulations and declined to be influenced by the action of Congress and let the matter drop. Again, when a court of inquiry appointed by Congress to investigate the complaints that I had made of my treatment reported in favor of a trial by court-martial of General Gilmore's son, General Dyer's son, the nephew of the Secretary of War, and some other lesser lights of America's aristocracy, the Secretary decided that a reprimand was sufficient for the offense. Yet he did for me what had never been done for a white boy in like circumstances. Now, sir, by consulting my register of the Academy, issued in 1871, I find that three cadets of the fourth class were declared deficient in mathematics, Reed, Boyle, and Walker, and that the first named was turned back to join the next class, while the other two were dismissed. Now, Reed is the secretary's nephew, so that is the reason for his doing for him what had never been done for a white boy in like circumstances. Mr. Editor, I have no objection whatever to any favoritism that may be shown any member of the royal family, so long as it does not infringe upon any right of my race or myself. But when any paper tries to show that I have received such impartial treatment at the hands of the powers that be, and even go so far in their zealous endeavors to shield anyone from charges founded upon facts, 
as to try to make it appear that I was a favorite, a pet lamb, or any other kind of a pet at West Point, I think it my duty to point out any errors that may accidentally creep into such statements. The officers also say that Smith was manifestly incompetent, that he had a fair examination, etc. What officers said that? Those of the War Department, whose attention was attracted by the recent attacks on the Board of Visitors, or those who decided the case at West Point? In either case, it is not surprising that they should say so, for one party might feel jealous because the Secretary of War was extremely liberal in his interpretation of the regulations on behalf of Cadet Smith, and that he did for him what had never been done for a white boy in like circumstances, while the other party might have been actuated by the desire to prove that no colored boy can ever graduate at West Point, or, as the young gentleman previously referred to said, no blank nigger shall ever graduate at West Point. As for the unanimous testimony of the Board of Visitors, I can only say that I know not on what ground such testimony is based, for, as I said before, the members of that board were not in the library when I was examined in philosophy, but perhaps this is only one of the they-says of the officers. There are some things in this case which are not so manifest as my alleged incompetency, and I would like to bring them to the attention of the Chronicle and of any others who may feel interested in the matter. There has always been a system of re-examinations at the Military Academy for the purpose of giving a second chance to those cadets who failed at the regular examination. This year the re-examinations were abolished, but for what reason? It is true that I had never been re-examined, but does it not appear that the officers had concluded that Smith was manifestly incompetent, and that this means was taken to deprive me of the benefit of a re-examination when they decided that I was deficient? Or was it done so that the officers might have grounds for saying that he did for him what had never been done for a white boy in like circumstances? Again, the examinations used to be public, but this year two sentinels were posted at the door of the library where the examinations were held, and when a visitor came, he sent in his card by one of the sentinels, while the other remained at the door, and was admitted or not at the discretion of the superintendent. It is said that this precaution was taken because the visitors disturbed the members of the academic board by walking across the floor. Very good excuse, for the floor was covered with a very thick carpet. We must surely give the academic board credit for so much good judgment and foresight, for it would have been a very sad affair indeed for those gentlemen to have been made so nervous, especially the professor of philosophy, as to be unable to see how manifestly incompetent Cadet Smith was, and it would have deprived the Secretary of War of the blissful consciousness that he did for him what had never been done for a white boy in like circumstances besides losing the privilege of handing down to future generations the record of his extreme liberality in his interpretation of the regulations on behalf of cadet smith oh that this mighty deed might be inscribed on a lasting leather medal and adorn the walls of the war department that it might act as an incentive to some future occupant of that lofty station i advise the use of leather because if we used any metal it might convey to our minds the idea of a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Respectfully yours, J.W. Smith, Late Cadet, U.S.M.A. The Negro Cadets We published this morning an account of Cadet Smith's standing at West Point, which should be taken with a few grains of allowance. The embryo colored soldier and all his friends, black, white, and tan, 
believe that the administrationists have used him shamefully especially in view of their professions and of the chief source of their political strength grant went into the white house by means of colored votes and his shabby treatment of the first member of the dusky army who reached the point of graduation in the country's military school is a sore disappointment to them cadet smith has been a thorn in the side of the administration from the start he could not be bullied out or persecuted out of the institution by the insults or menaces of those who for consistency's sake should have folded him to their bosoms he stood his ground bravely and much against the will of its rulers west point was forced to endure his unwelcome presence up to the time of graduation at that point a crisis was reached if the odious cadet were allowed to graduate his commission would entitle him to assignment in our much officered army which contains Colonel Fred Grant and a host of other favorites whose only service has been of the Captain Jinks order. The army revolted at the idea. Theoretically, they were and are sound on the nigger, but they respectfully and firmly objected to a practical illustration. The radical General Belknap was easily convinced that the assignment of the offending Smith to duty would cause a lack of discipline in any regiment that would be fearful to contemplate. Something must be done, and that something was quickly accomplished. They saved the army and the dignity of the horse marines by sacrificing the cadet. To do so, some tangible cause must be alleged, and a deficiency in philosophy was hit upon. In vain did Smith appeal to the Secretary of War for an opportunity to be re-examined. In vain did he ask permission to go back and join the class below. All appeals were in vain. Gentlemen, says the secretary, I don't wish to be misquoted as saying that I can't give Mr. Smith a re-examination, for I say I won't do it. The victim of the army has since published a three-column card in Fred Douglas's paper in which he says he was dropped for politico-military reasons, and in the course of which he makes an almost unanswerable case for himself but the radicals have dropped him in his hour of necessity, and he must submit. End of chapter 17, part 1. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.